Welcome to Cosmic Controversy with author and veteran science journalist Bruce Dormany, host of the podcast that asks probing questions about today's aerospace and astronomy. Bruce is author of Distant Wanderers, The Search for Planets Beyond the Solar System, and a Forbes.com science contributor. Now, here's Bruce. Welcome to episode 39 of Cosmic Controversy. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Rob Manning, Chief Engineer for NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, as well as Chief Engineer for JPL's Engineering and Science Directorate. He has been designing, testing, and operating robotic spacecraft for 40 years. In 2007, Manning became the Chief Engineer for the MSL Project that successfully landed Curiosity rover on Mars on August 5th, 2012. And with William Simon, he is the author of Mars Rover Curiosity, an inside account from Curiosity's chief engineer, published in 2014 by Smithsonian Books. Manning is also in Aviation Week magazine's Space Laureate Hall of Fame in the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. But today, we're primarily going to talk about the present and future of NASA's robotic Mars exploration and what JPL can teach the rest of us about how to successfully manage such complex projects. Manning joins us from Pasadena, California. Rob, welcome to Cosmic Controversy. Bruce, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me to come. First off, congratulations to you and the whole team at JPL for the spectacular beginning of Perseverance's mission to an ancient river delta, leading off what was once a lake at Mars's Jezero Crater. What are your first impressions of the landing site? Well, first of all, it looks like <laughs> it looks like our renderings. We 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 the great thing about this area is that we we've, we've had from orbit, uh, we've been able to construct three dimensional uh, terrain maps from stereo imagery taken from uh, uh, from this context camera on Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, as well as the high rise camera camera. So we can see we basically construct a, a, a three dimensional map of the whole area, and so we can then render that and kind of fly. <laughs> fly down in that model and see what it looks like. And it looks a lot like that. Um, uh, there are some differences, um, and, uh, uh, but, but pretty minor. But it's, they, they did, they did, team did a really good job of, of rendering it. Do you see any immediate hazards? Um, nothing we didn't expect, except for, oh, I think, the biggest one that we're worried about. And it's not a huge worry, but uh, we, you look out the, uh, we look out in our vicinity. Uh, there's a lot of the, these rocks, a uh, the little bit that we really thought were we're not there because we there's a certain resolution we can't see. We can't see down below about half a meter, um, and so rocks that are like sub, you know, a couple feet across or a foot across, sort of become invisible. We can sort of make out their shadows and things like that, but that's about it. So what we're really worrying about now is, you know, we, we want to fly this helicopter here coming up in the next month or so, but we need to have a nice clear area for the helicopter to fly and land in. Um, its its ability to precisely land between rocks is not super good. We want to make sure that there's no debris of, uh, in the vicinity of its helicopter blades. So we're scratching our heads to see whether or not we should, we can, that there's an area nearby that we can uh, drop the helicopter off and do its first flight, or whether we should hoof it over to some other safer place. And we, do, we, we can see from orbit there are some places that appear to be safe, like we thought this one was, um, uh, uh, oh, about 500, 600, or maybe a little bit more meters to the north. And so, uh, so that's what we're scratching over uh, head over now. But it's really, it's it's as safe as we expected. But you know, it there we know very well from orbit there are very dangerous places not far away. In fact, this vehicle did a divert maneuver 
to get away from some more places that are a little bit more uh, a bit more risky. NASA notes that the car-sized Perseverance rover has roughly the same dimensions as Curiosity, the predecessor rover. It's about 10 feet long, not including the arm, 9 feet wide, 7 feet tall. But at 2,260 pounds, Perseverance is about 278 pounds heavier than Curiosity. So what was the most important thing that NASA learned from Curiosity that you were able to apply to Perseverance? Well, I, I think the first thing we learned that even rovers can gain weight during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> so so no, it, it's a good, excellent question. Um, uh, it, it, one of the challenges for getting something heavy to Mars is it you got to slow the thing down before you hit the ground, right? And so so to do that, you need to have the heavier you are, the harder it is for things like parachutes and heat shields. And even existing rockets are to slow something, slow something down. So, so we were we were pretty worried. Now it turns out that we pulled some tricks out of our uh, hip pocket that helped us a little bit um, to kind of each eat up some of the margin and the design margin we have in Curiosity. But you know, it's it's it is hard to get heavy things to Mars, and and we were pushing it here. But we felt that was that if we could, uh, we knew that we'd have to grow because this rover had to carry more. So we started with Curiosity. You can imagine that. Start with the Curiosity rover. And then we had to change the front of it. Uh, the front, the front part of the rover had all for Curiosity, where's all the science lived. It had the, not just the the robotic arm, which had the had the had the drill, but also had uh, wonderful science instruments there in, in in the front, kind of the front door, the front vehicle. So our our science, the front of our rover, where our, uh, that we call the front of the rover anyway, is is the part where all the science is. So, uh, in however, we had to get rid of all that because we got completely new science, and we have completely new science requirements, new mission objectives. So we had to put more stuff in there, and we so the rover is we had to like push out the front of the vehicle by about two and a half inches to make make room for more of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to change it a little bit, uh, but our basically this is a Curiosity design. So we did learn that we could push it a little bit more, and we did push it a little bit more. Part of it was because we could get away with that because. When we actually flew Curiosity to Mars, we were able to measure its performance. And that performance we took advantage of and cashed it in a little bit for this vehicle. Because Perseverance is heavier than Curiosity, does that make it more, actually give it more heft and more stability when it's, uh, when it's climbing over rocks and hills or not? Uh, not really. The center of mass is roughly the same. And, and uh, so it, it's a, the angle for which it tips uh, is, uh, is about the same. Um, uh, it, it, our, our biggest concern, uh, is that if you recall, and this is, you know, I will, I will take full credit for this mistake. Uh, we under the strength of the wheels, uh, on Curiosity Rover. And if you remember Curiosity Rover, as it drove around to our shock and dismay, started, uh, developing these big holes and tears in, in these, these aluminum wheels. Yeah. I remember and seeing those. Yeah. So, so. Uh, we had to redesign those to make them more beefy. I mean, to be honest with you, we had this, I mean, here's this wonderful mobility system with these big wheels spread out nicely, nice and wide center of, uh, 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 wide stance, very, very robust looking vehicle that looks like a drive, like an all-terrain vehicle, except now we have wheels that are like tender feet. And, and that was a, that was a big uh, surprise. We, uh, uh, because we thought we had tested it properly. Turns out we did not test it properly. On curiosity and then so we learned we learned our mistake unfortunately too late and we uh fixed it on this vehicle so we've had we've actually changed the size of the wheels a little bit made them a little bit smaller thicker 
lot more beefy, and uh, they're they're at, we, we've made them uh, we've basically adopted what we've learned from Curiosity and, and modified the wheels accordingly. And so Are they we're very happy about that, and they they're working fine. They'll, well, in the test, we still haven't driven on Mars yet, so okay. <laughs> I'll just see how well they do. So, what's the closest analog to the to a Martian surface here on Earth? Okay, well, it depends a lot where you go. Um, that we uh, Mars, you know, is a big place. It has enormous diversity. Um, uh, for example, when we landed Mars Pathfinder uh, in 1997, a long time ago, uh, we used uh, the the catastrophic outflow channels of the Eastern Washington State uh, Channel Scablands, which had been uh, had been uh, affected by thousands of you know 13,000 years ago. There was uh, there was a fantastic flood that came out of uh, Lake Missoula in Montana at the end of the Ice Age where the ice broke and this fantastic wall of water went racing over the surface and catastrophically uh, etched out and, and made fantastically large uh, teardrop-shaped uh, streamlined islands. Uh, it, it moved boulders and ice and just made an incredible impact on the, on the landscape. So we'd use that area as our, as our, as our, as our, 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 our analog for Earth. Uh, uh, a terrestrial analog for, for Mars for our landing site there. And we use, and yet if you go to another place, there's other places where you could go to where that might have had ancient lava flows and you can see where they've been broken up. Um, uh, they're more relevant to where, uh, say, uh, uh, Spirit rover drove. This one, this one is, it, it, it's, I think the biggest analog for this one is, is actually Curiosity's landing site in Gale Crater where we landed on an ancient clay bed and uh where curiosity is now and well, actually it was uh it was down at the bottom of the crater of the uh, crater floor now we're uh, curiosity has driven quite a ways up the hill along the 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 the, uh, the, the size of mount sharp but but uh so we're using actually i think curiosity is our biggest landing site gale crater is our biggest analog for this this is what our hope is um, we're, we're still debating whether or not that's right or not, because again, we're evaluating things from outer space, looking down and you can only do so well from orbit. Um, and you, because it, it, it's really hard to be, to be precise that, that you're, that you're right about it, but we tend to be pretty good. So what's the most underappreciated aspect of, uh, executing and operating <laughs> a, a robotic Mars mission like this? <laughs> Oh, I, I think it would be, I think most people would be, in fact, when we have new employees or new people come on the team and then you start operating it, uh, they're shocked at the complexity. It, it, this is, it's not like driving a car. It's not just moving. People often think, well, this is like, how tough can it be to drive a car, you know, even a remote car. And, and that's the actually easy part, driving, you know, moving, moving the vehicle to a new point position in the, on the surface is not that hard. What's hard is all the other constraints and issues associated with power management, data flow management, the wake up and shut down cycles because this vehicle is, you know, has to be essentially narcoleptic and sleeps most of the time because it's it's only operates on a hundred. This was about one hundred and fifteen or one hundred and nineteen watt power supply at the moment. Uh, it won't be long before it's only a hundred watts uh, of electricity every all the time, twenty four seven, which is nice. You know, it's hundred watts. Like you plug, you can operate an old fashioned light bulb with hundred watts, which is which is good. But you know, that's a it's a big rover. And there's a lot of stuff to run. And so we have to do what we do. This rover has to be asleep a lot. So I think a lot of people would be just surprised how how many people it takes and how many different knobs there are to control, that you need to control in order to get this thing to work. Um, and it really takes a big team. You can almost imagine it, you know, at this giant uh, a theater production of puppets. And everybody, each person has a different part of the puppet, <laughs> has a different puppet to play in this big play. 
um, in, in this big drama that you're trying to put on. In the same way, um, the science team has to coordinate their work with other science instruments and, and the commands they send to, that, to, those, to those instruments and all the different constraints and all the different rules about what you can and cannot do um, in the software and in the system that you have to abide by. And so it, it's remarkably complicated and it takes, you know, it's not, if, if we were to actually publish a, a user's guide, it would be, uh, it would be like an encyclopedia. It's huge. And so how, uh, how much of it is actually engineering and building and designing and, and how much is it really uh, computer science? I, I would say, uh, I think computer science uh, aspects uh, are, I, I would say, five five percent five percent the night five percent five and so there so i i would say most of it is just engineering the constraints issues for example you, you've got it this instrument you can't start collecting data until until it's warmed up to this temperature uh, well what do we have, what do we have enough energy to turn it on at this time well we, we don't have enough energy that time but we can turn it on earlier yes but if you turn it on earlier you have to turn the heater off another hour later and, and it starts cooling down again by the time you want to use it, it's too cold oh shoot how are we going to do that and so you end up having all these different constraints it's just it's 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 really complex engineering of a lot of physical things that have a lot of constraints on how they operate you actually i saw a picture today somebody had posted on linkedin of an exact replica in the mars yard at jpl i assume and uh yeah is, is this really an exact replica so in other words when you were budgeted for a uh, uh, a mission like this, do you just automatically produce a duplicate that you could, I assume you produce a duplicate because if there's a problem, a hazard, that you can work the problem in the Mars yard, take your time and try to figure out a, a solution with an exact replica, is that is that how it works? Or Bruce, you're you're absolutely right. It is, it is a duplicate. Um, and yes, we do budget for building two of these. Uh-huh. <laughs> in fact, um, we do a little bit more than two because uh, we do, uh, we, we uh, uh, first of all, we, we like to have sp spare flight equipment in case during the assembly process that something breaks, we short something out, it damages it. We can swap in with a spare piece, uh, but that's for individual components. But for for uh, uh, for full up rover, we do make, on all of our vehicles, we've always made a duplicate. Okay. And the reason is we have to, we need an environment to, to, uh, we can't do this all in simulation. We need to actually run our software and our systems and operate it in, in as close to environment as we can muster here on Earth in an environment where we can make mistakes. Um, and we don't have it because think about it. Our own, this, the rover that's just landed on Mars, ask yourself, how long, how far has it driven so far in real life before it got to Mars? That uh, far. Across your living room and back. Oh, okay. That's all it's and made a few turns on its own. It's we barely and, and the problem is we don't want to abuse it before it goes to Mars. That's right. one important thing. Right. Okay. But we need an environment where we can, it's a dirty environment we can try things out. And we've got lots of duplicates of different pieces in different places. Uh, for example, we have a duplicate of the whole sampling system and the sampling arm up in a in a test facility where we can actually st simulate the Mars temperatures and densities of the atmosphere where we can actually try uh that's dirty it's where you can actually drill into rocks and do the sample transfer yes in earth g not mars g that's the one difference but you can do almost everything almost everything else just like you're at mars uh, uh in that facility independent and that's independent of the thing you saw in the picture of a rover sitting in the in the driving around in the in the mars yard so this is really essential i mean we have to train our vehicle right, right. we have to we have to train uh, our uh, and so uh, so writing that training involves writing a lot of software and testing a lot of software and testing it, testing it, 
that test bed and another one just very much like it without wheels and without a body. We have another test bed just sitting, uh, um, um, called a, sometimes they're called flat sats, where you take your, take your spacecraft and all the electronics and put extender cords between it, extension cords, and you put all these, all the little, it's kind of like, like the Wizard of Oz, right? Where the, the head's over here, the arms are over there, the knees are over there, <laughs> the hearts are over here. And so you, with extend, longer extension cords, you can go through that whole process and you can do the same thing. It's just that it's the, um, that the wheels aren't really moving the whole thing. Uh, or, and you can do that with entry descent landing. We do the cruise because the same rover, by the way, has to be good at cruising its way to Mars. And, and it has to be pretty good at being a hypersonic pilot, a helicopter pilot, and a parachutist all in, run, all in one. Uh, oh, and a navigator. All, all in one during in, over those seven minutes <laughs> wow. of terror. So it has yeah. to be good at all those things. Yeah. So we need places to try that out and test it. And so we have many venues for that, which are based on duplicates of the equipment. Yeah, and as close as we can get. So the now, reason, in the re some, but there are species that are different. For example, we got to keep. We can't. We can't put the radio isotope thermoelectric generator on Mars in, in our Mars yard. We don't use the radios to transmit. We use a, radios, a stand-in for the radios right. um, and things like that. But, but other than that, it's pretty darn close. And it, the software doesn't even know that it's not running in, on Mars. But the other reason, uh, you know, in the, in the event of a catastrophic launch failure, would you, would you come back and say, hey, guys, uh, well, luckily we have a duplicate. All we need is a radio isotope, uh, a nuclear generator. Just get the, yeah. the Department of Energy to give us another one or what? Probably not. Um, we really uh, the reason not. Is, uh, really no, not. because it's we've we've abused it so. <laughs> and we we it's you know that for example the parts inside are don't have necessarily the same parts quality. Uh -huh. uh, they wouldn't have gone the same handling. Um, uh, they've been uh, they some of the parts that are on board are not radiation hardened, so they may not be able to survive uh, a trip to Mars. Okay. They'd be happy. They're happy in Pasadena, but not happy in outer space. So we have lots. Of, so now we do have flight spare. We we would use some of our spares for sure to do that. Yeah, um, but um, we would we'd have to ask for a lot of money. <laughs> okay. Um, and to to real build it up. Now, tell it, it, you tell you, it's easier the second time around. And, and, and you know, we built Spirit and Opportunity rovers, for example, at the same time. I tell you, it was not twice the cost by any stretch of the imagination. The cost is in designing and developing one. The second one is just the cost to recur that same design to get the extra components and put assemble it, which is a tiny fraction of the total cost. So, so building two of something at the same time is pretty easy. Now, if you spread out two things and you spread them over a decade, it's a different story altogether because many of the parts are not available, the people are not available, the corporate memory is not available. You have to start not not start over, but you it's it's a bit more it's more difficult. And that's basically what you had to do with the because Curiosity yes. landed. I mean, it launched in. Uh, uh, what, uh, 20, 2012, 2012. So it's yeah. nine years ago. Yeah. So, um, um, fortunately many of the team members who were around who built the first time were available to consult like me. Right. Uh, there were, there were a lot of people who, uh, there are some people who were on both, uh, who moved on to bo do both. Um, uh, so there was a fair amount of corporate memory, but still a lot of things had to be changed because many of the, you know, comp companies don't necessarily stay, stay still. And we buy a lot of stuff from a lot of different people, and those the people says, "Well, yeah, that yeah, was great back in twenty and we when we by the way we ordered the parts back in two thousand and seven, yeah, two thousand six, two thousand seven. That's starting to be a long time ago." It says, and we'll go back to the same company. Hey, you guys can make another one of those things we bought two thousand seven. They go like, "No, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll have to find your own. You, you, yeah. you could, hey, you could use this one that looks sort of like the same sort of but it's upgraded versions. Oh, yeah, but that won't work." 
So, so we'll so we uh, we'll find ourselves in a world of hurt sometimes where we have to go back to the drawing board and some, sometimes go pay a company to reinvent a product that they had been developing years earlier. Right. And uh, and so uh, yeah. Doesn't always and work. They may not remember. Okay, yeah, these companies may not remember how they did it the first time. <laughs> okay, but the but the bottom line is that the the Mars Curiosity rover has far outlived its nominal mission. I, and the nominal mission was what a couple of years or three years or yeah. something. Yeah, two years. Yeah, and yeah. now uh, I mean, basically, you get to run this thing as <laughs> as long well, as it, as long as it holds out, right? I mean, I assume NASA yeah, is going to yeah. keep funding and we, it. You know, and in that it's kind of weird. You know, people. You know, I remember. On curiosity, I mean, spirit and opportunity. I remember people saying, "Hey, you know, how, how long is this going to last?" And I said, "Well, you know, it, we're, we designed it for ninety Mars days with margin, um, and we think it would last." I thought it was uh, the biggest issue we had was that the, the weather was going to kill us when winter came, and um, and, and especially with the dust season combined, we just we just no way that we could survive the winter. We told ourselves, and we thought we went through that work and realized in, in, in the design phase and said, there's no way, maybe, maybe 120 souls, not 90 souls. No, Mars day, by the way, is 90, is one soul. And uh, one soul is uh, 24 hours and 39 minutes, by the way. Very convenient okay. if you're going to operate on Mars because you can sleep in 39 minutes every day. That's the best part. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah, except your family gets tired of you coming in, going to work later and later all the time. And so, so um, make long story short, I, I, the, the, our, our people say, well, Rob, how come you didn't just, just, just you know, these things lasted and lasted and lasted. Um, how come you didn't, um, oh, why didn't you, you know, you probably spent a lot more money than you needed to. Did you over design it, you gold plating engineers? I go, no, I didn't. We didn't complete it. Um, uh, it lasted. It, 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 what happened was the conditions in which it was operated were not what we designed it to, because the design assumed certain things about the environment of Mars that we could not have predicted until we got there. Uh, for example, uh, uh, wind cleaning events, where wind comes along and actually sand, uh, uh, basically a, a sandblast the the fine grain dust that accumulates on the solar panels. That was not in the prediction. We never saw that before. We've never seen. We didn't see it on Pathfinder Sojourner, the only other solar mission, solar array mission we've never seen before. So it, sometimes you get lucky. The irony of the whole thing is insight with these great big solar panels. It's been on Mars for a while. They still haven't seen a solar cleaning event. Right, um, and, and so you can't plan for that. Panels. So you have to design it in the uh, you know to take into account. Yeah. The, well, maybe we won't have any wind to clean the solar panels. Right. So, if, yeah. right, and I and we and we could could count on that fact. We didn't even exist. We didn't even know that process existed. But let's say so. let's say that this is a, <laughs> so perseverance is a nominal two year mission. But I mean, yeah. uh, w w you know, what would you tell your friends out, if you're out having a beer? You know, hey uh, Rob, how long is this thing going to last? What would you tell? What would you say? Okay, so so um, uh, my friend, now retired JPLer named Dara Savahi, is a brilliant thinker and engineer a mechanical engineer and i asked him that question on pathfinder when we were he was the he was my he was the edl interdescent landing mechanical chief engineer for pathfinder and and i said daryl what do you think the odds of this thing working are and he goes like rob it's simple okay well tell me daryl he goes 50 50 50 50 daryl what no no you, you can't be joking i i'm i'm because I'm in charge of EDL uh, for Pathfinder, and, and I said, and I said, so Darren, you can't. What do you think? There's only a 50 50 chance. He says, Yeah, Rob, either it's going to work, or it isn't. <laughs> no, I don't mean work. I mean how long? How long do you think perseverance is going to last? No, no. As you said, it, so that's the question. How long will it work? Will it last two years? I don't know. 
I, I think it good. At, uh, we designed it for two years. We've shown margin that will last for two years. Um, we've 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 uh, robusted ourselves. We've uh, we, we've made ourselves um, robust to dust in, dust conditions, uh, weather uh, anomalies. Um, um, but you know what? There's still plenty of single string, non redundant components in this vehicle, and things do break. And and so uh, you know. The odds are low, I believe, because we try to make them as high rails as we can. We make sure that we didn't launch with uh, with electronics with cracked solder joints, for example, or uh, or uh, f- uh, frayed wires or missing insulation on the on the cabling, um, you know, stuff like that. And you know, we try to, but you know, there there's by the way, there's many miles of cabling on this vehicle, and there's thousands and thousands of electrical connectors. And connections. Um, there's there's hundreds of thousands of solder joints. It's just like it's like you you, you got to ask yourself. Well, what's the chance of this working? Well, I think it's good, but I can't tell you for sure. And so well, let's I think let's if assume nothing it does, breaks. It's going to go on. It's, if nothing yeah. breaks, so I mean, it's going to it's going to go it's going to go on for quite a while. I mean, so so, uh, so in other words, if you know, it's a cur- so yeah, uh, curiosity, for example, start off with a hundred hundred about hundred ten watts of power from the solar from the uh, from the power supply right. it's now down to the 80s it, we it degrades with time that's, but you think power, it's a, so, but you know if if a history is a guy with curiosity you would hope that you know you're not going to uh testify to congress to this but i mean you would hope uh that this thing might last a decade right i would think right yeah 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 you, you, you can say hey uh what if, if, if nothing breaks knock on wood it's gonna it could yeah 100 a, a decade is quite quite conceivable in fact there there what I what I worry about is people counting on the thing lasting a decade. That's ah, a little different. Okay. Right, so so for example, we were collecting samples uh, for a future sample return mission. Should we retain the samples inside the vehicle, inside our rover, and then and then del- use our rover to deliver directly those samples to a Mars ascent vehicle that could land, say, oh, 2028. Or uh, around or 2027, 2028, um, uh, no, six, eight years from now, um, should we count on that? And I'm going like, well, you could, but you put all your eggs in that basket. You know, if, if the vehicle dies with all those samples stuck inside the rover, you might have kind of regretted having regretted making that decision. Uh, it says, well, you guys, your vehicles don't break. Well, our vehicles don't break until they do. <laughs> right, gotcha. It's it's so that's so th- this is where the challenge. This is where this 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 uh, this schizophrenia, you know, that people like me and others seem to have, where we said we have to show confidence, but we also have to show concern that you know we are not perfect. Things do break, and and oftentimes the failure modes are not our failure modes that we did not predict or foresee in looking forward. We discover them once they happen, and the okay. more complex the system, the more likely that will happen. So what about the Dare uh, Mighty Things message that was digitally encoded in Perseverance's parachute design? I was not a part of that at all. <laughs> no, I was not, actually. <laughs> I was not a part of it. Uh, no, I, uh, I, though, you know, I, I knew that they were there, that they had, that they were going to do something uh, with the coloring. And I'll, that's all I knew. And my view is I trust them. I know the, I know the team well, personally. And my view is like, hey, just let me know. Let me know. Surprise me on landing day, you know. Surprise me. So uh, there was a couple. There's a few people in management position who just double checked to make sure 
they weren't going doing something and it was going to be embarrassing and, and it was far from embarrassing uh this is this is a uh dare my things uh, of course comes from uh teddy roosevelt from 1899 uh I, I won't be able to quote quote the whole thing but it's uh but but we've been using that phrase for a while um probably since before curiosity um and, and it's a wonderful phrase because 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 we'd like to try to dare mighty things and so the team is kind of proud of that expression and they put it in there and uh i was happy to see that as well as the uh latitude and longitude of the jpl front gate <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so that was that was fun i was very, i was i was as soon as i saw it i knew like oh okay I, you guys you guys got a, you got a code in there and i'll, I'll just I'll have to figure out spend some time i, I never got around to to, to uh to look into it. The bottom line for people who probably haven't, who have not heard about this, what was a digitally encoded message that was put in by the, the design team. There was a press conference and uh, someone at the press conference says, hey, kind of cryptically said, well, there's maybe more there to meet CI about this parachute. The, the white is the natural color okay. of the fabric. And the orange is international orange that we use, which is which is uh, we've often used in some of our, of our spacecraft. And we put patterns on our parachute before. We never actually put a code before. Um, right. Kind of kind of wish I had in the past. It's a great idea. And but uh, so they it was soon. I, I can't remember exactly who figured it out, but it was within a few hours. So, and yeah. Had, some a couple of people had had figured out the message, and I think it's very cool. They had. Okay. It is. You know, it's fun. It's fun to do those kinds of things. I think. I think you know. We, we try to give something a little bit something for the public that that makes them enjoy it, and especially in the area of era of COVID. Um, having a little bit of a, a little bit of fun is not a bad thing. <laughs> so when will the uh, perseverance actually start moving and roving? Well, that's a good question. Um, um, the, the probably the, 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 right now we're trying to assess the site for helicopter flight safety, and uh, we may drive sooner than later depending on the helicopter uh, decisions where we launch, I'm sorry, uh, let drop the, the helicopter off. I'm expecting that in, a, in about a, uh, in a, in a small number of weeks. Uh, it won't be very long. It, it, we will, it will, I think we've got a, a short drive coming up very soon uh, just, to, just to test out the mobility system. But, uh, uh, but, but a real drive where we'll start doing science, it's gonna be a couple months uh, once we get the helicopter mission out of the way. And the helicopter mission is just a test mission, to, a technology test. I'm fascinated by this because, you know, if you can get 50 or 60 feet off the, off the surface of Mars and, you know, kind of hover there. And I mean, that, that gives you a whole different perspective, doesn't it? I mean, because the mast oh, cam, yeah. the mast cam on the, on the Perseverance is what, uh, 15 feet up. I mean, that's, that's as far as it goes, right? 10, 15 feet. Uh, yeah, it's about, it's about 10 feet. Yeah. I think it's, it's about 10 feet. Yeah, so that's about like a, that's like a very tall basketball player. But I mean, if you could get 50 or 60 feet up, I mean, that would totally change your perspective on things. I would think it, it, it would. Um, this vehicle is not that vehicle. This helicopter is not that vehicle. Um, ah, this is okay. a test test for a vehicle that will do that someday. Um, so, uh, so the, 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 there, this vehicle is really just to test the technology. There was some hope originally that maybe they could do exactly that. It could do that, except it's not the it's not designed to. The reason it's not designed to, it does not have the uh, the the it can't keep up with the mission. It can't it it it, it can only it, it's got very tiny solar panel on top. It takes a long time to charge its batteries. Its its flight missions only last a few seconds, and it has to shut down or recharge itself. It, so it's more it's more like uh, a little grasshopper that can't quite keep up. 
and can, ha, has to take naps all the time. Uh, where so our vehicle is really not this. This they're not compatible. Someday we will have. We are we are looking at a, a possibly for for a helicopter, a larger one that would have its own radio source that would go talk to an orbiter. That would allow it to be fly independently ahead of 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 a rover mission and so that's something we'd, we'd love to do someday uh so with this technology this experiment will tell us what we need to do what we need to learn and whether see whether or not our 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 tests and, and analysis tell bode, bode well for flying a closed loop helicopter on an, on, a, on mars you know equivalent to 130,000 140,000 feet on this planet i mean that's many times higher than mount everest so it's way up there Let's talk about a few of the instruments on Perseverance just quickly. First, there's a Mast Cam Z. It's an advanced camera system with panoramic and stereoscopic imaging capability with the ability to zoom. And it's going to, do, going to determine a lot of the mineralogy of the Martian surface to assist with the rover operations. So is this the principal kind of main camera? From a science assessment perspective it is it's it the scientists use that will and are using it now to assess this the this site for scientific interest uh they're zooming in different parts of the landscape around it um uh, so yes absolutely however it's it's not used to operate the rover um the the we have we have has cams these uh has cams both in the front and after the vehicle down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. The same image, the same ones that took the pictures just after landing, moments after landing. And we also have these nav cams up on the mass itself that allow, that, that are used. Now these cameras are more designed for machine vision, uh, cameras that, that are designed to be uh, for, the, for those images to be processed by software to help it make decisions on how how it's driving. And so. Uh, so now, what do you those mean? Cameras. What do you mean by machine vision? What do you mean by that? So machine vision, um, machine vision is a whole. Uh, you, you can uh, look it up on Google. It's 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 a whole subject area of of giving um, computers um, the ability to to process images, um, and it, so there's special there are cameras that are designed specifically for that purpose, um, and uh, that have that have, for example, very good metrology where you know exactly where each pixel is in in the frame body frame of the rover for example uh this would help this helps give the rover a context in relation to its ship to its own body so it so it's very good at uh, uh so it's very precisely aligned for measurement whereas a camera for science like the mass cam z is intended not so much for that but it's intended to be able to tell you more about the subject of the thing you're looking at what is the mineralogy of that rock what is this morphology it's it's about giving a context to scientists, and so, so so there's a different design philosophy and design intent for those two different camera systems. And so, in other words, it's not just about imaging a pretty picture; it's about giving context for analysis. Correct context for analysis and giving scientists, including a, a very broad um, sense of its color and 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 the color of the rocks which give uh the scientists a really good chance uh, estimate of this mineralogy even before we use some of the other instruments and then the other one uh i'm not going to go through all of them but the the other one that i think is interesting is the sherlock it's a, a spectrometer but it's also going to have a microscopic imaging capability yeah did, and did curiosity have something like that i'm not i don't remember um, it, it 
it had the had the microscopic imaging capability, but it didn't have the the, the Raman and luminescence, um, and, and particularly, it didn't have the ability to see things at the resolution that this instrument can do. Between this and another instrument called Pixel, we'll, we're going to be able to look at scales uh, that are about the size of a grain of sand. Good lord, um, something the size of the tip of a, of a, and so that's something totally new. I mean, we we, we we've been able to see things that scale we couldn't we can't tell anything about the mineralogy if you look at a rock close up with on on curiosity it can't really tell that easily what the mineralogy is over the whole face of that rock and so whereas this will and so we'll be able to basically do exploration on uh, on an area of the size of a one inch (laughs) circle and and actually explore uh, that vast territory of diversity inside rocks um uh, using this equipment that's just unbelievably powerful. And you're, and, and you're going to have two things with that. One is a spectrometer that's going to actually analyze the light reflected off the rock. Uh, so you can determine the mineral makeup. Is that right? The mineral composition. That's correct. As well as an, with, with Pixel, uh, an X, X-ray luminescence as well, kind of doing the same kind of thing in different band, in frequency, different wavelengths. And so uh, they both have imaging capability uh, and well, when we lay them on top of each other over the same sample, uh, which we'll do occasionally, um, you, you'll really get a lot of incredible richness of detail, which really the kinds of kind of mi- microscopic analysis that that uh, researchers can do on this planet with samples. And then you can also have a radar imager for subsurface imaging, uh, and yeah. that and that's a first. You you you've never had that, right? Yeah. Okay. Not from a rover. We had we had the uh, the Dan instrument on, on Curiosity, which was a Russian instrument that looked at um, it was it had it was ground penetrating neutron sources, which allowed us to look to see where how deep hydrogen, I, aka water from H two O, was in the ground surrounded ground as we drove on the surface of Mars. Um, so it didn't really tell us exactly what the structure of the rock of the rock was, but it did tell you. Where how deep water ice was as you drove around. This is much. This is going to be much more rich, and it'll give a much better, a detailed uh, cross section of what's underneath you. Very much like the Sherrod uh, radar on Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter or Barsis radar on Mars Express in orbit. So we, right. There's radars up there which do the same sorts of things, but a much larger scale. This will allow us to do the same thing they're doing, except on the scale of s- less than a meter. Uh, resolution, sub sub meter resolution um, on the surface itself, which is going to be really cool. And so, uh, so how far will it go down again? Um, I think it's a matter um, of meters. Meters, okay. Um, depending depending on the characteristics, uh, sand it's uh, it's easier to go down than it is hard rock, and so it's it's, it's it does it uh, it's uh, but it, it could give you give you local structure beneath you. So and, in other words, you can see so, things, for so, example, discontinuities, you'll be able to see cracks in the ground, things like that. Right. So, um, so looking, really looking uh, out at that panorama uh, that was released, you see, you know, there's several areas in front of the camera where you, where obviously you have subsurface rocks, the, the rocks are exposed. We don't know how far they go beneath the surface. So with this, uh, when you start roving, you could turn this in- instrument on and get an yeah. idea of how big that rock is and, and yes. whether it's connected yes. and and you learn a lot about yes. the geology from that right that is the idea okay. yes exactly right and can you also probe for subsurface water or frozen water um it it it, it can yes because water has a very distinctive uh, radar cross section so yes water ice and water will uh, could be could be detected 
okay. this present. And then you're going to do a, another technology experiment uh, that could have application to future human missions. Uh, it's called the Mars Oxygen in Situ Resource Utilization Experiment, MOXIE. Well, MOXIE basically uses basically uses uh, electricity to to um, separate uh, through through a through a process process to separate uh, oxygen from carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Mars has got you know only one percent of Earth's atmosphere, but it's also it's not it's different. It's got carbon dioxide only, uh, pretty much it, and and trace traces of other gases. So, but so carbon dioxide, as we're learning on this planet, is extraordinarily stable. It doesn't want to be doesn't like to be uh, taken apart. Um, so we have to coax it apart, just like photosynthesis does on this planet. Um, we, can, uh, we can do equivalent of, of something similar to what photosynthesis does by pulling the carbon apart um, from the oxygen and allowing us to construct oxygen, pull oxygen out separately. And that we can use that oxygen for, for various purposes. Now, we don't, we don't actually use the oxygen on this mission, uh, but, but the, 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 uh, this, will be, this will prove that this is possible to do it under Mars conditions. Okay. So for a future, future mission, human mission, um, this, is, this, this technology scaled up significantly would, uh, would be a very powerful uh, resource for, for producing uh, something very valuable to astronauts, oxygen and water for that matter. With a larger budget like Curiosity, you mentioned that there was a kind of a, a stronger emphasis on risk avoidance. Did, uh, did was this also the case with perseverance? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, perseverance is equally well, not quite equally, but close to being very expensive uh, vehicle, and and it's not just expensive. There's a lot riding on it. Um, uh, there's a whole uh, NASA has been uh, been very excited about pushing forward with its with its. Uh, with that notion of sample return. If you remember, this is the f this mission, uh, in addition to this great in situ science I just talked about, we'll be actually collecting these core samples uh, and putting them in ultra clean, pristine sealed tubes that have been hermetically sealed, uh, will be hermetically sealed by the rover and with virtually zero terrestrial contaminants inside the tube to go along with them, which was, by the way, made this vehicle very difficult to build and very expensive to build um, because of the cleanliness requirements that the sample uh, processing system had to abide by. But um, so a lot was writing on this because because this is you know Europe's going to be involved in the sample return. Everybody cares wants sample return to work. But if this first step, if we fumble in this first step, then then all those all those dreams and plans will go will, will be delayed for many years. So. So, um, so risk aversion is something that goes with the t goes with the territory, unfortunately. Um, but you know what? It's taxpayers' money. We we kind of owe it to them not to mess up. But you write in your book that you can expect mistakes, and uh, you can. And I, I just want to say there's one thing that that I'm always impressed with when I watch these landings, and that is the sheer enthusiasm of the team. When you when you see that team together on the day of the landings. They just are exuberant, and the enthusiasm is just infectious. And I haven't seen that in the private sector. I, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, it's it's. You know, I, I when people I talk to people about this, I usually say, you know, when you see us jumping up and down, screaming, that's not happiness. You see, that's deep relief, <laughs> and that's <Okay>. and <laughs> it, that uh, we why because because every one of those people in that room has had their hand in some aspect of this and they're asking themselves 
what did I miss? What mistake did I make? I know I had people look over my shoulders. We double check, triple check things. Did I get something wrong? Is it because it, it is still possible? Human, we are human beings, and human beings—the natural outcome for things we do is to fail. Because especially complicated things, you're not going to get it right the first time. You're going to have to practice and practice and practice and get it right, get it right, get it right. Um, in this system, and particularly landing on Mars, that practicing is very limited because you can't practice entry descent landing on this planet and have it work. So uh, especially for entry descent landing, there's a real sense of, of, of anxiety that builds beforehand. Um, and, and, and every, again, and we're counting on each other and we're counting on each other to find each other's mistakes. This is a business where, um, you, you can't fake success. You're either going to, and, and, and there's no one who's going to tell you it worked when it didn't work. It's, it is, it's Mars is, is very harsh. <laughs> and, it, it, and, and so there's a real sense of relief. So I think that's where it comes from. Certainly, we're working on something that, that, uh, that has meaning to a lot of us. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're all people who were schooled in, in science uh, and technology and understand the, the importance of, of pushing out human frontiers of knowledge. And um, because of that, we're, we, are, we are passionate about this kind of work. And, and, and at JPL, people like me to tell people do not hide that passion do not do not suppress it do not sit on your hands be yourself be you know you know if it, it, it you know I, I, you know certainly we want to be respectful for everyone around us um but but you know don't be afraid to smile to cheer to yell um don't and and, and to be yourself and, and take that pride with us because partly because you know, we are, in some sense, we're kind of role models for the next generation of engineers and scientists. Um, and many of them, I, I've been shocked over the years how many people come up to me and said, Rob, remember, remember 1997? used to, I saw you do this. I saw you land Mars Pathfinder and did this. It's because of that I became a scientist or an engineer. And to me, as I'm, I'm shocked, um, but I'm thrilled that we can actually play that role. And so um, it's, 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 in our, it's in our professional interest not to not to uh, hide the truth of how we feel. There are two points in your book uh, that I want to touch back on, and one uh, you wrote in a on a spacecraft project. Almost every day, one team will discover that something another team is planning raises some kind of conflict with their one piece. You write, explain what you mean by that. Well, it's it's. Um, I, I mentioned earlier how complex these things are, and um, because especially since you, when you're operating something, you have one team, for example, that is that's trying to figure out to tell it what, to, because you can't have one group of people doing everything all the time. You, you can, but it would slow down the mission considerably. And uh, but but so one team would be coming up with the plan and and basically coming up with this very complex script that was that sent up to the to the rover when it wakes up in the morning the rover cl clicks this big script and it starts on its own following the script and does as best as can to follow it and then the next day reports back uh or some out many hours later some many cases how well it executed that and the people looking at what it did is like oh oh shoot well it got most of it but it this didn't work out why'd you guys do that that didn't make any sense it's, oh, sorry. I mean, and it, usually it's not—it's nothing dangerous or bad, but it's just—it's how complex this is. 
And that's true for many of our handoffs. You know, when you have multiple groups of people, one group of pe group of people working this part of the design hands it off to another group of people uh, who have to somehow integrate it into other pieces of the system. And it's, it's so easy as human beings to miss something. And so we have to really actively wear our humility on our sleeve at all times. And this, and this is something that is so essential to our success is, yes, dare mighty things, but be afraid. <laughs> be afraid. Look, uh, be cautious. Realize that, 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 that you are not perfect, that we are not perfect human beings. We make mistakes. And as a consequence, we have to do things to mitigate our own hum frail, uh, uh, imperfect humanity. And that's something we do by double checking each, uh, each other's work, doing the same thing two different ways by two different people, and then comparing the results by trialing it, going into the test bed, trying it over again, trying it, have other people look through the test results of the test you just ran just to double check that you weren't missing something. Um, and so those are the kinds of things that we do all the time. It's not cheap. You, you know, if you want to save money, you don't do those things and you hope that people are perfect. Because we're a nonprofit organization and that we're part of NASA and, um, and we, we've been given this huge responsibility to make these things work. Um, we've also been given by the good graces of Congress and the general public the resources to make do those extra double checks. And, and, and that's, I think that's a part of this, this effort that I think that people uh, uh, have to appreciate is that, you know, we actually can get money from the taxpayer to do that double check. And if you're a nonprofit, if you're a profit company and, you're, and, you're, and your expectation is that you're going to do this for the least lowest cost possible, then, then you're, you're, the, the, the emphasis will be less. And that's all, all there is to it. So uh, what are the, uh, we talked in the pre-interview a bit about the reason for JPL's successes, and you've had a string of successes. What are the keys to your successes in the last few decades? You mentioned hard work. But is there a management style uh, that is used at JPL that we could all learn from? That's a great question. And I, I, by the way, I struggle with this all the time. I think uh, we have a few. I, I think, and I've asked my colleagues what they thought about this, and they go, "Well, you know, I mean, I mentioned one of them just now. You know, the the fact that uh, you know, if we need more resources to to do more tests to, to really convince ourselves something's going to work." We can go to NASA and say, please, can we get more resources to do this? Can you find more? Can you allocate more money for us to do this extra work to double check that we're doing the right thing? Uh, and they will. And where it's, it's very hard, you know, thankfully, the taxpayer has, has authorized NASA to spend taxpayers' money to make sure we do this right. And so, uh, so there's, that, there's that element. But I think uh, so that's a very important piece, but I think there's other parts of our culture which I also help a lot, which may not be you won't see as much in the in in, in many places, and that's a a, a, a environment of self criticism, critique. JPL was it was originally a a, a lab a Caltech lab, and uh, with graduate students and PhD people trying to get their PhDs. And they would go through, and they would live in a world where their professors would critique them and say, "Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this?" Uh, uh, and so there's, there was a there was an environment where technical critique, and oftentimes it 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 it, it, it 
shouldn't have, but often go into personal attacks, which is not good at all. But 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 technical critique and questioning each other's thinking and reasoning is something that's very fundamental. So we have reviews where where we'll have a group of people who will be put on a board and another group of people would defend their design. And the review board is supposed to look and find holes in their thinking and their reasoning. And, and you say, well, why'd you do that? What, what was your thinking? Did you think about this? If you did, how did you solve it? And so those are the kinds of questions that we put people on the spot all the time. And we, and, 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 but a lot of people find that intimidating, but it turns out to be an essential part of what we do. And that, and that, it allows for those kinds of conversations to take place and to people to shake out their own mental shortcomings, all of our shortcomings. Because a lot of the times we're trying to, again, we're trying to overcome our human fallibility. We are human beings that make mistakes. Our vision, our mental vision. I mean, think about this. We saw EDL for the first time with our own eyes, with cameras, and recently the, 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 the descent, descent stage, the sky crane off maneuver, uh, the rover landing on Mars for the first time this past week. But we have, in my mind's eye, I've been visualizing that in my head for two decades. And I've been seeing it, I've seen it, but, but I've never really seen it. I can only see so much with my own imagination. And so, so a lot of the time we're, doing, we're trying to challenge our own imagination. Uh, and we have a culture of that. It's not a top-down thing where people are told what to do. It's a, it's a, you know, people are constantly surprised that the managers haven't, haven't, are often told by their own employees, no, I'm not going to do that because that doesn't make any sense. And the, and the managers will, we look shocked. Um, they go, no, but you're right. That's a, that's the right answer. The right way to say it. And so we, by creating this culture of critique and, and irreverence to man of, of, to, uh, to, uh, to management to a certain extent, uh, it, it really, it, it really helped us help us make these things work. Uh, and so, I think that's a key feature that, I, that I'm pretty proud of at JPL. So how can uh, this JBL culture and philosophy of critiquing and double-checking and, and kind of having each other's back, uh, what can the rest of the country learn from this? Because right now we're, particularly as we, we try to claw our way back from this pandemic, and, and, and I don't care who, which side of this, the political spectrum you're on, I mean, we the U.S. has not handled the the pandemic as well as it should, uh, nor the vaccination rollout. I mean, I think everybody would agree with that. And if you have problems with that, I'm sorry. Uh, but I mean, I don't think I anybody can, yeah. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. And then you look at something like this fabulous landing, which gives us all in, which inspires every American, you know, we can all be proud of this and you know, but what can we learn, you know, from this management structure that despite the pandemic, despite being isolated from each other, perhaps, and, and not being able to interact, you know, going out in, in a social setting and slapping each other on the back. And, you know, when scientists go out in a social setting, have a couple of beers and have some pizza, you trade ideas, you learn things, and you haven't been able to do that, even though you've been having Zoom calls, right? So it's amazing right. that this thing all worked out. What can JPL teach the rest of the country as we try to go forward? First of all, they're very fundamental things. One, it takes making difficult, making complicated things you've never done before possible is hard and you have to think it through. It takes leadership where it's really clear who's in charge and you need to make sure that you create a culture where people 
uh, ask questions and think about what can go wrong. Um, we spend far more time talking about how our rover isn't going to work than we do talking about how it does work. And it, um, for example, um, uh, you know, it, it, when we do these, you know, this landing we had last week, we had rehearsed it over and over again, not just in the, not just in the software in the, in, the, in the computer, but we actually rehearsed the whole team, the whole operations. But we didn't just do the normal rehearsal. We, we, we rehearsed bad things happening. We threw bad things after one thing after another. These, these operational readiness tests, we actually had gremlins. In fact, I've been a gremlin where I've intentionally thrown bad things into these into the situations in the days and hours leading up to landing to see if the team can recover and get the vehicle to land safely. And so those are the, that kind of hedging and thinking about all these bad things and practicing before the day comes is an essential feature. So, so if you're going to, for example, um, you, you need to roll out millions of vaccines to lots of people, um, then you would probably have thought through this as well. Um, we don't have vaccines yet. Let's try rolling out a, a million things that we can roll out and just practice it. Let's try it out. Let's see. Let's do the logistics with fake vaccine, with the vials of water, uh, whatever. Just try things out. See if you can get the machinery to work. Tune it all up. Um, hire thousands of people to come along and pretend like they're they're, they're patients and go through the whole process of getting re getting um, appointments. You know, there are things like that you can imagine. It's hard to do that though because it takes resources. We had the resources. The resources were pre-allocated. If you haven't thought that through and not thought through making sure that that's setting that up and thinking that through well in advance, then it's not going to happen and you're not going to be ready for when it really happens. And so it's really about being prepared uh, and preparing prepared for the worst as well as the best and, and, and working very hard to make that happen. Again, it takes money, time, and strong leadership. Uh, and not everybody has all those acts, all those pieces necessary to pull those things off. So what's in the far future of robotic Mars exploration? Well, the far future, I think the, 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 there's no doubt that, that we're going to, uh, all the energy on Mars is going to be focused on one thing, which is bringing the samples that this rover collects and delivers to the surface of Mars back to Earth. And I think, um, uh, the, 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 you know, searching for, for um, I know it's going to be challenging because we've got to find some excellent samples, uh, pristine samples. So this rover is in the midst it's got a lot of work ahead of it over the next few couple of three years from now uh, to, to try to find places on Mars where, where organic molecules might be present in, in, uh, in rock. And uh, so that's the next thing. And, and, and so bringing those samples back is, is number one. There's, of course, there's still places on Mars that people love to go to, but sample return is so, such a centrally hard problem and so expensive. That's going to be the, the bulk of the effort right now. Uh, within at least within the science side of NASA, this science mission directorate of NASA. And that's going to take at least a decade. And does it make sense to scale up the rovers? Or are they at a kind of a, an opportune uh, size at this point? Well, I think, I think the, I, well, good question. Um, I, I, you know, we don't make them bigger. You know, I, I best with you, it's easier to make smaller rovers. A little smaller, not too small, just right. Um, spirit and opportunity were easier to build than curiosity and, and uh, perseverance, uh, mostly because the mission requirements are more complex for these other these most recent rovers. They have to do things that the other rovers never had to do. So we've given them hard, new, difficult ho hobbies, which affected the size and mass 
uh, and complexity of these vehicles. Um, if, if in the future you want to, for example, just race around, take pictures and do simple uh, microscopy, for example, and you can make a much smaller rover that could, a much cheaper rover that could do that. But right now, if, if, if you want to bring a sample back from Mars, that means you have to land a rocket and a rocket that can take lift your samples up and put those samples into orbit around Mars. That's not a mean feat. Now, the rockets, Mars is smaller than Earth. It's only three-eighths uh, Earth gravity, um, and the air is thinner, which means it's easier to pop stuff into outer space. Uh, but still, it's a big rocket compared to what we normally build, and it's, it's large even compared to uh, the size of uh, Perseverance. Uh, it's a, it, it would be, it's big. Uh, so, uh, th th so that's going to force us to go larger, whether we like it or not. Or, 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 or at least do something different to make the, to make that thing happen. So, uh, but I think this is this is a great size for rovers right now. I'm, I don't really want to make them much bigger. I think that's it's they're perfect, perfectly sized. Uh, making them bigger is really not going to be that helpful. When you look up at a clear sky, is Mars the first thing that goes through your head? What do you think about? <laughs> oh well, I, I I love I you know I I I. I Mars is not the objective for me. Mars is, uh, is a place that is helping us find the bigger objective. I, I think our big objective is to see about the web of life and find out whether this amazing, miraculous, incredibly resilient, incredibly uh, diverse, incredibly resilient thing called life that has lasted on this planet for billions of years, three and a half billion, billion years at least, whether that ubiquity that we see in this planet is present outside of our world, whether it's present on Mars, uh, the moons of, of Jupiter or Saturn or other, other planets and other solar systems out there, I think, but life itself is, 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 is more common that we, than, uh, than, than, uh, than not. And so, so I'm, I, I'm really hopeful that, that before I leave this planet, I will, I will, we will learn about whether or not life uh, is as ubiquitous as I hope it, as I believe it probably is. So, uh, Rob, do you have a way that listeners can contact you or via social media or email if they want to comment or learn more? Well, Bruce, I, I don't really use social media that much. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm probably, I think I'm too old for, for that. And also I've got a, 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 a get a lot of email already. Um, so, but I do have, we have some excellent people who could, could field questions through the JPL uh, social media organizations, um, and particularly the Mars, uh, the, the Mars team who, who produces uh, answers questions for the public, and 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 and, and come, go to the JPL website, www.jpl.nasa.gov, uh, and, and and check out the Mars program, and 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 there's some wonderful resources there, and places you can ask questions, and, and if the question's interesting enough, and they ask, you can they will send me a they'll send me a question or two, and I'll be able to to answer it if they can't do it. As always, please follow Cosmic Controversy at brucedormany.podbean.com or at bdormany on my Twitter feed. Rob Manning, thanks so much for helping us better understand NASA's Mars rover program. You're welcome. It was a great privilege to come, and thank you. Great questions, Bruce. I really enjoyed talking about this. Thanks for being a part of the podcast today. This has been Cosmic Controversy with Bruce Dormany. Please follow Bruce on Facebook, on Twitter at BDormany, or his regular posts on Forbes.com. Until next time, clear skies.
Music provided by RFM.